about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. It is a great privilege to have the words of Jesus, uh, to know him through God's word. Uh, Therefore, before the Bible is read to us, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. As we hear from it read now, and as Andrew preaches from it to us, we ask that you would be at work in our hearts that we might not be people who hear your word and promptly forget it, or who close our hearts to you. Please help us understand and accept what you have to say to us. Please remove distractions, and by your spirit, shape us to be more like your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Hi, I'm Yo. I'm going to read the first reading, which is Psalm 2, on page 532. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them, then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I'm Danny. I'm going to be bringing, uh, bringing you the Acts reading, um, to the first eight verses on page 1077. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Well, let's begin tonight, as we begin our series on Acts, with a kind of foolishly big question. What is history all about? What is history all about? Uh, That is, what is the story that binds together the past and gives it some kind of meaning, some kind of coherence? What is history all about? Well, your first response may be that that's a ridiculous question and, of course, there's no answer. History can't possibly be about anything as such and so there, there, there is no story, really. At least not one story. There might be lots of stories, lots of good stories, but there's not one story that history is about. That would be fair enough. However, we need to be careful because it might also be that we believe in other answers to this question without really being aware of it. This is the kind of thing it's easy to have assumptions about that work away beneath the surface of your life without you really being aware of them. And that's why it's good to take it out and have a look at it. Uh, In particular, there is one kind of answer to this question uh, that (coughs) that has had an enormous influence on our culture and still does today. Uh, That is that the story of history is the story of progress. The meaning of human history, so this story goes, is found in movement forward, onward, upward. And so we live today in an exciting time, that's what that means, where great improvements are within our reach and we have an important job to do. Our task is to make tomorrow better than today. One of the driving forces behind this kind of story is the image of enlightenment. Uh, You may well have heard of the enlightenment. People heard of the enlightenment. If you haven't, it's totally fine. Um, But it's the name given to that period in uh, the history of the Western world, uh, beginning about the middle of the 17th century, where there was this kind of rapid change and development in science, technology, philosophy, and politics. All at once, major kind of changes, and the thinking associated with this period of the Enlightenment has left its stamp on our consciousness. And the very, the very imagery of that idea tells the whole story. You know, Enlightenment, there was darkness back in the Dark Ages, bad, and then light. Light, science, light, goodness. That's, that's the story. People forget that actually probably it's more likely that there were some steps in between that. You know, anyway, that's for the historians among us. Um, but that's, that's the kind of image, right? And that this new era dawned through scientific advancement beyond which nothing can stop now the progress of the human spirit. We got the things out of the way that were keeping us in the dark, And now we're moving forward. Uh, The philosopher Thomas Hobbes said, In the modern era, men look not at the greatness of the evil past, but the greatness of the good to follow. Men look not, and it was just men he was talking about, men look not at the greatness of the evil past, but the greatness of the good to follow. I wonder if you recognize this story, or if you can see how it might have affected you. 
Can you feel its power in our day? It influenced all of our schooling, all the curriculum that we kind of uh, experienced. It lay also at the heart of many great movements of the last centuries. This sense that history was now being fulfilled, was that now was the time that mattered and that we were moving towards a climax. The Beatles sang it. It's, you know that song? It's getting better all the time. Maybe you know it in the Gomez cover. No. Okay. <laughs> That's a great cover, that album, Abandoned Shopping Trolley Hotline. Get it. Um, but this, this is the story. It's getting better all the time. We're moving forwards, right? This story, of course, took a pretty big hit in the 20th century uh, when human beings used their science and technology to perfect techniques of murder. Uh, and when we started to realise how much damage we might actually be doing to the planet on our heroic way up. Yet that story remains powerful, actually. But it's often today, it's a bit more subtly. Uh, it surfaces, I think, especially in ideas we have about purpose and, and what's worth doing in your life. Uh, here, let me quote the great prophet of our day, Steve Jobs. He said, we're here to put a dent in the universe. Otherwise, why else even be here? Again, Steve Jobs said, let's go invent tomorrow instead of worrying about what happened yesterday. Let's go invent tomorrow instead of worrying about what happened yesterday. Now, if you, you can probably feel the pull of that, right? I think many people can. It's why he was, was such an inspirational kind of figure. That quote sums up so much of how many of us think about what's happening in the world and, and what our job, therefore, is. There's a story, you see, a story where we're moving forward, we're making a difference, where the best is yet to come. Do you believe this story about progress? Is this the story of history? Is that the true story? Well, I want to open up these questions tonight as we begin looking at the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the history of what happened in the earliest days and weeks and years after Jesus. And God has given us this book to teach us about the age in which we live, about what it means, what it is for, and what is happening. And the challenging fact is that the book of Acts tells a different story to the story of progress. The book of Acts tells a story about how the climax of history has actually already happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And therefore, our task and the purpose of our time is not to create the future, but to bear witness to the past. Let me challenge you, friends, that that, if we'll let it, is a thought that will have a profound impact on our lives. Okay, so come with me as we have a look at the book of Acts. I hope you've got a Bible uh, or can see one, uh, either in Pew Bibles or on your phone, Acts chapter 1. In the, the Bibles in the pews, it's page 1077. Acts chapter 1. Let's have a look at these opening verses. Uh, the first two verses put us in the picture. In my first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Uh, the former book he's talking about 
is the Gospel of Luke. Theophilus was Luke's patron. Uh, That's how it worked back in the ancient world. We have publishing houses. They have patrons who paid for the publication of the writing and publication of these books. And Theophilus dedicates both. Theophilus is the one who Luke dedicates both books to. Um, And these opening words are meant to be a kind of very brief summary of Luke's gospel. It is the record of what Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up after his resurrection. That phrase, began to do, is is worth noticing. Uh, It implies that in what is to come, Jesus himself will still be at work, doing more things. He hasn't finished doing his work. In particular, Luke tells us that the last things Jesus did in this phase were to give instructions to the apostles through the Holy Spirit. Uh, The apostles, as you may know, were the central group of Jesus' followers. There had been 12 of them, but since Judas' betrayal, there were 11. Now, the word apostle actually means one who is sent, a sent one. Um, And Acts, as we'll see, is the story of Jesus sending his people out, uh, beginning with these sent ones, these apostles, sending them out into the world. And that's where we've got our series title from, Sent. Well, Luke then zooms in on the particular moment we're up to. Have a look at verse 3 there. After his suffering, he showed himself, this is Jesus, to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. We're in the aftermath of Jesus' death and resurrection. After Jesus' suffering, Luke tells us, Jesus had shown himself alive on numerous occasions with many convincing proofs. Uh, That's actually a really good translation there because the the Greek word has a strong sense of demonstration and evidence. Jesus made it clear to his followers, you see, that he was really alive. He proved it over a period of 40 days, roughly six weeks. He taught the disciples about the kingdom of God. Uh, It's important not to underestimate this period, this month and a bit, The resurrection, you see, it wasn't just a fleeting moment. They didn't just get this kind of tiny glimpse of Jesus' new life and then it it was real and solid. The disciples had time to digest it and test it and confirm it. These 40 days became the basis of everything that was to follow. If you weren't here last week when we talked about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday... Um, We talked about this a little, uh, and if you have questions about the the historical issue of the resurrection, can I invite you just to take one of the pamphlets that's on the table on the way out. There's these these handouts saying, the resurrection of Jesus, is there any reason to take it seriously? Just might be a starting point for your discussion, and then feel free to come back at us about that. But these 40 days, they were this important period, kind of like an an intensive team-building preparation time. Well, Luke then draws attention to one particular instruction. Have a look at verse 4 there. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Um, During the 40 days, actually, they had already gone back to Galilee at least once. Uh, But now Jesus told them to stay in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem was to be the place where the work began, uh, the center from which the ripples would flow out. This wouldn't happen straight away, though. Jesus tells them to wait, wait here. Uh, it would only happen after they received what Jesus calls the gift from my father, the gift um, my father promised. Did you see that? And they had to wait for this gift in Jerusalem. And it was a gift of the Holy Spirit, God's own personal spirit, God himself to be with them spiritually. Just as an aside, I think it's worth just noticing the really kind of relaxed and confident way the Bible speaks about God as Trinity. Uh, Christians, uh, you may know, believe that God is one, but he's not one in a simple way. He's one as three, and he's three in one. He's Father, Son, and Spirit in a perfect unity. That's a, that's a hard thought, and it's a weird thought, but, I mean, why should it be easy to understand God? You know, just push back against that a little bit. But it's nice to notice here the way the Bible speaks about this in this really kind of just delighted way. The Spirit is the gift of my Father, says Jesus, but it's the gift of my Father that you heard from me, and as we'll see in the chapters that follow, it's, it's Jesus himself who pours out the gift of the Father. Earlier we heard about how uh, Jesus uh, had given the instructions through the Holy Spirit. And we also heard about how it's what Jesus began to do and teach. But as we'll see, that what, he, what, he, what Jesus continues to do is through the Holy Spirit. There's this perfect unity of working between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is just worth kind of noticing and, and, and enjoying. Uh, what we see here is that God works as one through three, and the Bible's not embarrassed about that. God is three persons who mutually indwell one another. And that's a beautiful and good thing. That is who God is. Okay, that's just an aside. Let's get back to the text. So this gift of the Father, the Spirit, Jesus explains the significance of it further in verse 5. Have a look at it there. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if before you came to church you had read Luke's Gospel, uh, this reference to John the Baptist would remind you of Luke chapter 3, where John the Baptist uh, speaks of how he is not the Messiah, he's, he's kind of warm-up act. I baptize you with water, said John, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Remember those words as we head into Acts chapter 2. To baptize is to immerse somebody or, or drench them. Uh, and John's image is of one who will kind of immerse people in the Spirit, drench them with the Spirit, one through whom God's own transforming personal presence will flood people's lives. And Jesus says this is coming in a few days. That prophecy of John is about to be fulfilled. Well, the apostles obviously felt this sense of climax and excitement because they come to Jesus and they ask him urgently, verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't know what you make of that question. Uh, I think it's an interesting question. It's an interesting moment. 
our instinctive response may be to feel like they still haven't got it. Come on, you just had 40 days with the risen Jesus and you're still asking these weird questions about... And in a way, they clearly are still confused in various, you know, various aspects. Yet, we should be careful, they're not simply wrong here. They are right, you see, in that not everything that will happen has yet happened. Jesus is alive, but they're very aware that the world hasn't been put to rights. Uh, they're still waiting for a fulfillment. Okay, Lord, you've raised from the dead, but yeah, so when's it all going to happen? You're also right, even, actually, to, to think that Israel still awaits a fulfillment in some sense. The Bible actually makes that clear in various places, that God still has purposes for his people, Israel. So they're not completely wrong. Well, I think this is partly why Jesus doesn't just kind of slam them. But nor does he give them the answer they're looking for, nor does he go, uh, no, it's going to be then. Actually, instead he tells them they're focused on the wrong things. This is the heart of our passage. Verse 7, have a look at it there. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. We should pause over this verse. Jesus is saying, it's not your business to know the timetable and to know how and when things are going to pan out. That is not worth focusing on because it is the Father's to decide and it is not yours to know. That ought to be heard really loudly and clearly because for some reason it is a continual temptation for Christians to get preoccupied with precisely this, times and dates. Over and over through history we hear about groups whose almost sole preoccupation has been knowing the timing of the end times. But Jesus just says, and could he have been any clearer? Right? It's not yours to know. Don't bother. Okay, we've heard that. Right. I think these words, though, have wider relevance uh, than just for end-time cults. I doubt any of you are a member of one of them, but if you are, please come and talk to me. Um, but, you know, that would be too easy, right? Uh, too easy for us to go, yes, we're not that silly. Uh, to, to, to worry about those kinds of things. So let's stay with this for a second. Okay, dates. The word for dates there is probably better translated seasons. Jesus says we're not given the knowledge of the times and the seasons. It's not given to us, that is, to know, maybe, how historical epochs and periods fit into God's plan, into his timetable. It's not given to us to know the meaning of ages. We may know lots of things about different times, the time we live in. We may have a sense of what's happening today. We may, have, we, we may want to and you know, discern things happening in the world and be worried about things or excited about things. That's all fine, but it's not ours to know what it all truly means. It's not ours to know where its significance ultimately lies in God's plan. That knowledge is the Father's. And you know what? He hasn't given us this knowledge. He hasn't let us in on his big timetable because we have something more important to worry about. Witness. Verse 8. 
But you, this is Jesus still speaking, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the apostles, you see, that they have a task. A task that demands all of their attention. They are to be his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit in a mission that will spread outwards from Jerusalem to all the world. The four terms he describes there uh, give a kind of movement outwards. It starts at Jerusalem, and then you've got all Judea, which is the southern region of Israel, Jewish territory. And then you've got Samaria, which would have been a bit of a surprise because that's not Jewish territory. It's the area of the Samaritans, just north of Judea. So at this point, the disciples have probably gone, Jerusalem, yeah, Judea, oh, Samaria, yeah. and then, oh, and the rest of the world. It's kind of like very small steps, and then, and also everywhere else in the world. You know, it's a big step, but the point is, the apostles have something to worry about here. They've got enough, plenty enough, to, pre, to, to occupy their attention. They are to be Jesus' witnesses into the whole world. Don't worry about the times and the seasons, Jesus says. Worry about this. When the rest of the book of Acts, we see the beginnings of what this meant for the apostles and the rest of Jesus' followers. The beginnings of their fulfillment of this commission to be Jesus' witnesses. Through the power of the Spirit, mind you. We see them go into Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and finally, even the beginnings of the rest of the Gentile world. At the end of the book of Acts, though, it's clear that this task is not finished. And it's still not finished. So for now, let's pause and ask what this opening part of Acts means for us today. What does it mean for us today? Well, Christians today are obviously not witnesses in the same way the apostles were. might seem an obvious point, but it's quite important. The apostles were Jesus' witnesses in a very specific sense, right? They actually knew him in the flesh. They had lived with him, and especially they had seen him alive again after death. They were eyewitnesses. Their witness was and is therefore unique. Yet, as we've noticed, they did not and they could not possibly have finished the task Jesus gave them. And Jesus must have known this would be the case when he said, to the ends of the earth. There was no actual way the eyewitnesses would be able to achieve this in their lifetime, right? But, and here's, this is a really important point, their witness did not die out with them. We have it still in the words of the documents they authorised. The New Testament is the authoritative record of the witness of the apostles. So, important thought. The New Testament is the apostle's witness to Jesus, written. Through the scriptures, you see, the message they and the message the scriptures proclaim, the gospel they proclaim, the apostles still bear their unique witness to Jesus. Well, this helps us understand our task today. 
and how, in a way, obviously, it's different to the apostles. We can't repeat their testimony. But in a way, it's just a continuation of their job. Our task today is to continue bringing the witness of the apostles to the ends of the earth. That is the task God has given to all his people. We don't pretend we can do their job exactly. We didn't see the risen Lord alive. But we extend their witness and we seek to be faithful to it. And that is our job. This time, you see, this age, now, this day, just like the first moment after Jesus' resurrection, this is a time of witness. Now is the time of witness to Jesus. That's what this moment, this age, our day, just like every other day for the past 2,000 years, that's what it is about. This is the time of witness to Jesus. This is a profoundly different way of thinking about history to the story that we began with, the story of progress, of enlightenment. In this story, the meaning of history is found in the future, in tomorrow, in what we may achieve. Men look not to the greatness of the evil past, said Hobbes, but the greatness of the good to follow. But the truth is that the meaning of history is found not in the future, but in the past in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the meaning of the present moment is to call attention back to the significance of that fact. That's what witness is about, you see, calling attention to something that lies outside of us, something that has happened apart from us, that has happened, pointing to that. And it means a totally different way of thinking about our job, We're here to put a dent in the universe, said Steve Jobs. Let's go invent tomorrow instead of worrying about what happened yesterday, but our task is different. We're here to testify that the dent in the universe has already been made and made well and good enough and once and for all. And in fact, in a way, way, the only thing worth worrying about is what happened yesterday. Because the truth is that the meaning of history has been sealed and resolved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now is not a moment to invent the future. It's a moment to extend witness of what has happened in the past. Now is the time of witness to Jesus. And all of us are meant to be a part of that. This is not the responsibility just of special people, special ministers or something. It's all of our responsibility. It is your responsibility. It's not all our responsibility in the same way, mind you. Each of us will have a different role to play in extending the witness to Jesus into all the world. We don't all have to be sandbox preachers or whatever. And each of the roles we have to play matters and is valuable. There's not a hierarchy of value in this. But all of us are called to be on board this task and to be ready to contribute to it and looking for ways to be a part of it. So as we finish this sermon and as we begin our series on Acts, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, are you on board? 
Are you on board with this task, this mission, this work the risen Jesus has entrusted to us? Honestly, is your heart in it? Friends, this is what our time is about. The extension of the apostolic witness to the ends of the earth, the meaning of history is not in what we're moving towards, but in what has already happened. And now is the time of making that fact known and just enjoying it and rejoicing in it. Can I urge you to give yourself to it, to give your strength and energy to it in whatever ways you are able? What will that look like for you? Ask yourself. Maybe it will mean making yourself ready to speak about Jesus more than you have before. Making sure you understand your faith well enough in order to explain it if somebody asks about it. Maybe it will mean thinking creatively about how you can display the difference that Jesus makes at your workplace or with your friends or with your family. Maybe it will mean getting more involved in church or finding something here to put your hand to. Maybe it will mean giving more of your money away to local mission or, go- or, or world mission. Maybe it will mean working to overcome barriers to people hearing the gospel. Prejudices your friends have or, or maybe restrictions, to, or, or, sorry, restrictions on speech, for example. We don't know the times and the seasons. We don't know everything that God is doing in our days. We don't know what it's all going to add up to, but we do know that now is a time for witness to Jesus. And we also know that this is a work that God has put his own energy into. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, said Jesus. And they did, as we'll see over the coming weeks. They did. And that power for witness is still available and at work in this world today. God has put his own strength behind this task of witnessing to Jesus' resurrection. Because there'd be no point in us trying to do this on our own. How small we are. How big the task. Actually, Jesus says to the apostles, don't even bother. Just wait. Don't even try and, you know, stay put. I wouldn't talk to anybody yet until you receive power. But we have the promise of Jesus that the gift of the Father will be given to bear witness And that should be an encouragement to all of us to give ourselves to this work for which this time was created. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for raising your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead to new life and the beginning of a new world. Risen Lord Jesus, we praise you as the King and the one who sent your apostles to bear witness and who sends us to extend their witness. And we ask, please, that you would give us the faith in your risen life to do our part in that work, and the power of your Spirit to enable us to do it for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. 
For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.